Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com, IWork, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. I'm your host, Ross Harrop, local C12 chairman here in, Jim, in Tampa Bay, sitting in for my friend Jim Brangenberg, as I do on the first Friday of each and every month. This show features the C12 group, our marketplace movement, and showcases the faith and business aspects of our local C12 members and our impact on marketplace ministry across Tampa Bay and, yes, across America. It's an exciting time to highlight C12 group members and their kingdom companies who apply the very principles and concepts that Jim talks about each and every day on his I Work For Him shows. And my hope is that you will be inspired to take action on an idea that we talk about today or as you listen to one of our podcasts in the many forms that you can Listen to Jim and uh, his great uh, programming. Many thanks to Jose Cruz, who is engineering the show today and taking your calls. Please check out the latest on the iWorkForHim.com website. And while you're out there, please prayerfully consider joining me, Jim, Martha, and the iWorkForHim nation. Start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day, and you will be amazed at how you and they will be changed forever. Remember, you and I may be the only Jesus that our coworkers and employees may ever meet, and I have Jose right above my computer. There it is. I have my signed covenant above my desk as a personal reminder. In the C12 group movement across the country, our motto is to build great businesses for a greater purpose. So I'm glad you've joined us on this first Friday of February as we focus on ministry in the marketplace and concepts that you can use in your business. So let me uh, tell you about our special guest today, Jeffrey Rogers. I'm going to call you Jeff. Please do. <laughs> is co-founder and president of the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. And while it's national at scope, it is headquartered right here in Tampa Bay. And Jeff, it is great as uh, to have you as a C12 member, but also to have you in studio um, here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Appreciate you that. were on with Bill Bunkley some oh, time goodness. ago that was right? like four years ago oh my yes. goodness that's when you were oh my goodness it was just a dream back and uh right. all right we're gonna we're gonna hear more about that today so i really have two diverse objectives today as we uh have you on the radio uh, i want our listeners to know about your incredible ministry jeff and i also want folks to catch a glimpse of how your heart has been changed by by really walking with Christ as a servant leader. So let me just begin, and we just got a moment here. Um, 
just what have you seen Christ do in your life recently that revealed the ongoing work that he's doing in your life? And and, and that's that's about a one minute answer. So and then we'll come back on the flip side and pick up on it. Well, I think it's a great question. Um, we look at the scriptures that say all creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. I love that scripture because I do think that every single day there's a bit of creation looking for that revelation, looking to see what's revealed. And so for us, as a creation of God, I think that in everything we can see revelation. We can see what is revealed. And so whether it's in the the trees or the blowing of the wind or what that might be, and for me, I think most recently it's the divine connections, just like meeting you. And so divine connections and the speed at which God is moving in this fight against human trafficking across the country. I truly see God stepping up with a sense of urgency on this fight. Well, and I think that what's exciting is as we go into our discussion today, that's exactly how I feel about our relationship through C12. We've been talking to Jeffrey Rogers about God's work at the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. So let's get right back into it. And you had just been in talking about, as you uh, were ending your comments, about divine appointments and certainly um, that you've had a number of friends that have been involved in the C12 movement here in Tampa Bay and have talked to you about that. And uh, so what I'd like to do would be to have you just give us a, give us an overview in this first section. Give us an overview about the, the wonderful ministry known as the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. Could you give us a, give us a quick overview so the listeners understand yeah. what we're talking about? Well, I appreciate that. I think at the highest level, the most broad overview we could give is that the Institute exists to end human trafficking in the United States. I mean, at the highest level, that is the core objective of this organization. And so whether it's a vision statement or a mission statement, that is the mission to end human trafficking. How we go about doing that then, there's many things that we're doing, whether it's on the what I call the back end of the spectrum, which is the rescue and the rehabilitation of, of, of those that are trapped up in this, or on the front end of the problem around demand, or even what I call in the middle, which is really the working with governments, whether at the federal, state, or local level, to go about doing that. And so that's really the mission of, of what we're doing. I think as a C12 member, it's also important, though, to understand what, you know, what are the core values within that organization. And, and we very quickly, as we go through the mission, we get to the core values, the foundation upon which the organization's built, and that's the Word of God. And so we're a faith-based Christian organization. Maybe that's obvious, maybe not, but, but uh, as a C12 member, we are. And so those core values being to share the love of God with those that we engage with, to, to really love them as Jesus would love them and, and to do that appropriately. I, I love the power of your statement, your purpose statement, because to end human trafficking, I mean, it, it's right there. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty powerful. Well, I can share, you, share with you that for me, just that statement alone changes the way we think. So, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more here as we go throughout, throughout the hour about my past, but when I finally settled into an understanding of the calling that God put on my life, which was this battle against human trafficking, and that I've got, God, God willing, 20, 25 years left in me in, in a very good fight, and so the long-term battle against this fight, to understand we have many years to fight this, and with the strategic objective to end it, 
when when those two things came together for me, it was much clearer and different strategic thinking about what the organization is going to do to accomplish that. Because we're not just saying, well, we know we'll never end it, but we can do this or that. What we're saying is God has called us, and I don't just mean us in the Institute. That's not the point. It's really we collectively are going to end human trafficking in the United States. We, the body of Christ, are to step up and end this. And so when we understand this is a long-term, multi um, not maybe generational, but multi-decade battle, and that we are doing this to end it, then our strategic thinking is very different. So, Jeff, before the break, just give us a give us the 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 twenty thousand foot level. Give us a glimpse, if you would, into the scope of this crisis into human trafficking. That's a great question. So, a lot of people say, "Well, is it really happening here?" Yes. Human trafficking is happening here in the United States. It is a plague running rampant across our country. The statistics are interesting because, man, people love to challenge the statistics. There's people out there right now, I think, that are creating a career on trying to debunk the stats around this problem. What we do know is that it is an epidemic across our country. There are statistics saying maybe 100,000 to 300,000 children in America are being trafficked for sex every single day. That's challenged every single day as well as a statistic. But what I can tell you is just this week, the University of Texas at Austin came out with a groundbreaking study. And what they showed, what they've proven is that in the state of Texas alone, there are 313,000 people that are being trafficked. 79,000 kids in the state of Texas are being trafficked for sex. That's just in the state of Texas. It's a brand new groundbreaking study that just came out. So take that in the state of Texas and, and extrapolate across the country, and you can see that this is a, the scope of this is on a magnitude that I don't think we could even fathom. Yeah. I, I just, in getting to know you, I, I just, just catching the, the crisis that we have has brought you and I together, and I, I'm looking forward to to learning more, and uh, I want our audience to, to learn uh, more here. And uh, Jeff, you just shared some incredible numbers, and you were talking about the epid- epidemic of human trafficking across our country, and you just shared the number 313,000 involved in Texas alone. Yes. And, and so th- these are current numbers, right? With And so... Uh, we have listeners not only uh, across the country but but uh, around the world. So, but many are are sitting in their car right now in in Tampa Bay, and and many um, are listening to you. Tell us about what what's going on in Tampa Bay because it, it, it you've what you shared with me is is alarming. Yeah. So a lot of people, like I said earlier, don't realize it's happening in the United States. It is. But then it's even harder to grasp the notion that it's happening in your backyard or it's happening down the street. It's happening here in Tampa Bay. And so uh, we do know that Florida is identified as one of the largest states when it comes to human trafficking across the country. It's, it's hard to quantify that. A lot of people say, well, it's third in the nation. The, again, statistics are always challenged, so it's hard to say exactly. What we do know is that a couple of years ago, the FBI did identify Tampa Bay as in the top 14 cities across the entire country for human trafficking. And so it is happening here right in our backyards. So whether we're 14 or 25, it's too many. 
as far as quantity, yes. But you also mentioned 14. I thought of an age because a lot of people also say, well, what age groups are you talking about when you mention kids? We know that the average age of entry into the sexual exploitation or commercial sex industry for young girls is age 13. And then for boys, which is not talked about very much, it's one of our missions, is to get the topic of boys that are being trafficked across the country also to raise to a level of prominence here. And so with boys, they estimate it's even younger than that, maybe around 11 years old as an average age of entrance for a young boy. And so if you're sitting out there in traffic right now, uh, I don't want you to pull over. But I do want you to pay attention to how serious this is. And so, Jeff, what, I, what I'd like you to do now, just give us your, the pillars of your different, different programs. I'm, and, and you've got an incredible website, and uh, I'm going to ask you to share that as well, um, the, the website, and, um, so that people can go to it and get the information that I've been able to to, to take and reflect and then to financially support you in a small way because it, it really is tragic. So why don't you give us the website and then tell us about the various programs you have. Well, thanks. So, well, so the website is the acronym for the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. So it's USIAHT.org. Pretty simple. Okay. Yeah. Um, as far as you mentioned, like the pillars of, of focus. So we have really three tenants or three major fundamental program areas at the Institute. The first is again, what I call the back end of the problem. And what I mean by that is the rescue and the rehabilitation of the of those that are trapped up in this. And so from a standpoint of operating a safe home, and so we are right now in the process of opening one of the first, if not the first, but one of the first boys safe homes in the entire country for, for young boys um, under the age of 18. So average age of around 10 to, 10 to 17 is, is the ages that we're looking at. It's here in Florida. Uh, we're probably three months away from construction being completed and then open after we get licensed right after that. And so that that's the first of many. What we're doing is trying to do this in a replicable manner. And so there are not nearly enough safe homes across the country. There are not enough beds in the state of Florida yet. And so our goal is not just to focus on boys, however, but we started there because there's such a dramatic need, but there's also a dramatic need across the country for homes for girls. And so we're focused there as well. And so what we're doing in the safe home model is a replicable and financially sustainable model for safe homes. But what I've also learned, Ross, over the last four, I've only been in this for four years, so it's not like I have a decades of experience in this. But what I have learned in the last four years is that sex trafficking, I like to say that it's a supply answer to a demand problem. The problem lies in the demand. Where's the demand coming from? Unfortunately, the the traffickers out there are, and I I hate to even call them this, but they're really capitalists. They recognize that there's a way to make money here. It's a major commercial industry. And so the problem is in the demand. Where does the demand come from? And so another tenant or, or focus of our organization is on the demand. And so how do we begin to affect demand? for sex? How do we begin to affect the demand for people who want to purchase sex with a child? I know even that sentence is so hard for so many people to even grasp. It's hard to even understand or even listen to, but we have a major focus on the demand as well. And so what we have is, I mean, what you're saying is a sin problem. It is a sin problem. It is a sin problem. And so where does sin come from? Well, we know that where yeah. that comes from. Sure. It is of the enemy. And, yeah. and I'll tell you, so many people, when we talk about this and you explain even some of, the, some of the details of what's happening to these young kids and adults, and they say, well, 
How is that possible? And the only answer that I've been able to come to is that it is truly from the pit of hell. Mm-hmm. It is from the pit of hell itself. This is one of the darkest evils on the planet. And so we've got to address the demand and also to identify, so what is fueling the demand? And what we identify there is pornography. Pornography is the number one fueling factor driving this demand across the country for sex trafficking. So that's the second area. The third area, then I kind of call it in the middle, is where we are engaging with governments. We're engaging at the federal level up in Washington, D.C. We're engaging at the state level with certain state governments across the country. And we're also engaging at the local level. And our focus here is to identify what are the successful best practices, or successful practices or sometimes best practices that have been implemented in communities across the country already that have made significant progress in reducing demand or stopping trafficking, and to bring those into an engagement model where local communities can launch that. And, and so to help them basically replicate successful practices from around the country already. So what I hear you saying is that, and I know that you were just recently, within the last month, you were in um, Orlando presenting to county governments, yes. uh, officials. So do you feel like as you're attacking this and, and you have this one pillar of, of the government starting in Washington, D.C. and out to our local communities, that there are enough best practices that give you hope each and every day that you can make a difference through your institution. Absolutely. I absolutely have hope. My hope is in Christ, and I absolutely have hope that in Christ we can solve this problem. I mean, at the end of the day, Christ is the answer to stopping human trafficking. It is. Christ is the answer for the, for the, re, for the rehabilitation of the survivors that have been trapped up in this. Christ is the answer to set those that are buying these individuals free from, from the bondage that they're in and the addictions that they have. And Christ is also the answer for even the traffickers, although I believe the traffickers should spend the rest of their lives in prison. My Bible says that nobody's past the redemption of Christ. So Christ is the answer. And with Christ, we have hope. And we absolutely believe that we can end this. You know, I think there are many social problems in our country. There's many social problems in our world that maybe we can't solve. Even Jesus himself told us that we'll always have the poor. But this is a particular social problem that we, in our hearts, believe that through Christ, we can solve this problem. So you you gave us rescue and rehabilitation. We've got the demand, right? And the and based on pornography, there's a demand. And then the third was that that the best practices that you're learning in how to how to work with governments, both at the the local and the national level. And yes. the fourth one is those are the three. Oh, those are the three. Yes, okay. Sir. Yep. All right. So you made it simple enough for me. You you didn't go to four. You went to three. We stopped areas. at three. Three's a good number. <laughs> three. Okay. I got it. I got it. Jose, you got it? Three, not four. Three. I okay. got three. All right. Very good. All right. And and so our listeners who um, were looking for a fourth based on the uh, uh, facilitator here misguiding the uh, audience. All right. It's, it's usiaht.org. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, so that's the acronym, U-S-I-A-H-T dot org. And, uh, okay, so, all right, let's, um, let's, let's go to this, this next part of this as we try to build a, a foundation for this. Help us understand how God placed this vision for the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking Ministry 
on your heart. And then, and I'll let you weave this in, but how did you get connected with co-founder Kevin Malone? Because I, I, I knew Kevin when I lived out in Los Angeles. So it, I know it's not that smaller country. Yeah. Well, for me, it started about four or so years ago when I began to learn the truth of what's happening in our country uh, with human trafficking. And my wife, Carrie, and I embarked upon a journey to produce a Christian documentary on the topic of sex trafficking in the United States titled Blind Eyes Opened. That's actually why I was here four years ago with with Bunkley. Okay. Um, And and so for four years now, we've been working on this production, traveling the country, engaging literally hundreds of organizations across the country, pulling together the truth of what's happening with a call to arms, so to speak, for the church, really calling the church to get involved in this topic. And so that production is nearing completion. We're not done yet, but it's getting there. So through that process, um, interestingly, when I started on the film, I would have thought maybe it's a year, year and a half project, and then move on to another social issue that we really felt the church should step up and, and engage with. But it was probably a year to a year and a half ago that my wife and I sat down, and, and, and I kind of admitted to her, and, and I think came to an understanding myself, that I really wasn't going on to the next social topic, that we really felt God was calling us to this and calling us to remain here to, to truly make a difference in this topic. And so that's really how we got involved in this. And then it was through the process of the film that I was able to meet my good friend now and, and co-founder of the Institute, Kevin Malone. Kevin is the former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He ran the uh, the, the Expos and, and, and really at the top of his game in professional baseball and has now left that several years ago and committed his life also to ending human trafficking. And so the two of us got together, and uh, through a series of events that I'm sure we'll talk about even more here after the break, um, came to a point where we realized that there needs to be a national focus called the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking to end this problem with Christ as our foundation. And so as you started the work with Kevin... As you've shared the story with me, it, be- it became clear to you, to the two of you, that that there was a need to have something on a national level to support all of these other good causes and, and people that were doing this, but there wasn't anything that brought them together. Is that, is, is, do I understand it right? Yeah, so Kevin actually introduced me to an awesome ministry over in Pinellas County called the Florida Dream Center. And so I was able to work with the Florida Dream Center for, oh, it was about a year and a half's time. And uh, Kevin brought me to that organization. And then after working there, we we did recognize that there needed to be a a more of a national focus. And that spun off then into this institute. So how how did God prepare you for such a major undertaking? Uh, of starting a nationwide ministry. You met, you talked about meeting Kevin. Um, so give us some insight into how well prepared you were, because you were, you were in business uh, and were a vice president of, of one of America's largest corporations. So give us a little bit of that background so folks know that they may be facing the same questions in their life that God was calling them to something different, something um, not necessarily bigger, but had laid on their hearts. So sure. tell us about the business background, Jeff. Okay, so, and and I guess I'll just mention quickly that I was raised in a Christian home, but I didn't really understand what that meant to me. So I, th- I thought I was a Christian growing up, but it was really when I met my wife, Carrie, and we started dating, she's the one that shared the gospel with me. And so really through her, I was able to understand 
the the depths of what it means to have a relationship with Christ and really came to Christ through her. And so uh, we've been married now 18 years, and um, so I, I do thank her for that often. Um, so that that that's really how I came to a relationship with Christ. But I mentioned that because while I was in the corporate world, so I graduated from college, started in the corporate world, um, like you said, at, at one of uh, a Fortune 50 technology company, and quickly rose through the ranks of that corporation. And but at the same time, what was happening is is my relationship and my my desire for God was growing even that much greater. And so I like to say that as as I climbed each rung on the ladder, each rung became more and more hollow to me. And so it, it really became more hollow. It had it, it lost its depth of meaning. And and so my wife and I both knew or really felt God was calling us to something in the ministry. And so that at, at, at a, I kind of call it an inflection point. We made that decision to step out of the corporate world and into the world of ministry. And so was that difficult for you to, to, to walk away from the, the corporate experience? Was it like for some of us, it was like, you know, it was like the loss of a loved one or? It's a know. great question. And I, I can tell you, God has not given me the words to describe it, and I mean that in all sincerity, that um, the transition from the corporate world and where I was at, so my wife and I now have three young boys, and uh, I was still in the corporate world when we had our third child, and so at the time I was traveling 70 to 80% of the time, gone three to four nights every week and and weeks at a time overseas, And, and so that was the normalcy, so to speak, in the corporate world, and then all of a sudden, one day, it ended, and I went into the ministry. And so I was home, I was working from home, and I wasn't leaving ever. And so the transition in our yeah. house was extraordinary. The transition for me personally was extraordinary. The transition for us financially was extraordinary. And so uh, I, I mean it when I say I don't have the words yet to really describe what that transition was like. So for you, was that over time that God was was tugging on your heart? What was, uh, so oh, it was over a period of years while in the corporate world that I knew that the Lord was doing something. He was preparing us for something. We talked about it openly and regularly as a family, that we knew God was preparing us for something, but we didn't know what, know what it was. Right. And then there was a series of events in my career that almost forced us into making a decision of some kind, but didn't know what that decision was going to be. And that's when we said, you know what, a lot of people don't have an opportunity in their life to step out and do something that might might be considered crazy or might be considered really off the wall. And for us, that was going into the ministry. And so that's what we did. We had that opportunity. Jim will often talk about the ministry halftime, and he'll talk about the book that changed his life. And so someone's out there listening today that is feeling that same tug and they're they're wondering how do you, how do you know and for you and Carrie you say it, it took time it wasn't like god there was a lightning bolt and that day right. you just made that that decision but it was that that you just was it through your scripture that was it other other people and the the ways we that we normally I'd uh, say all the above it was a preparation time so it was a preparation time financially where we truly dug into the word and understands what the word says about debt 
and yeah. and uh, so understood how to get our finances in order, how to get our our household in order as best we could. And so we it was interesting because we recognized we were being prepared to do something, but we didn't know what that was going to be. And I, I can't say that it was absolute clarity then as if it showed up on a scroll that said, here's what you'll go do, right? It was just a series of events that said, man, this feels right. And we have peace about this decision. We've prayed about it. And so let's take this opportunity and go do this. Yeah, I think that that all of those ways can really, if we're in alignment with God and we are listening to that small, still voice, then we know. And I know just in our in our time together that you knew it was time. Carrie knew it was time. We did, and but I will add this, that I, I kind of joke about it, though, that God only reveals to us just enough to get us to move sometimes. And I say that with a grin on my face, because if God had revealed to me what the last five years would be like, I think I, I absolutely would not have left that career. And And again, I say that almost tongue-in-cheek, but it has been an extraordinary transition. Like I said, I don't even have the words to describe it. I had no idea how much of, of, of uh, how much definition I put on myself with my career. The, the, the logo on my business card, I didn't know how much that meant to me, how much it was stamped on my forehead of my identity. So there was a stripping process that occurred and then really a rebuilding process and so and a, and a refining process, you know, fire, uh, refining, refining through the fire. And so it's been an unbelievable process over the last five years, and it'll obviously continue. It's not as if there's, you know, a, a point of perfection that we know when that comes. And I think it's interesting that we've um, often heard that phrase that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And clearly, God had called you and carry and as you started to figure out and part of that was a walk through the dream center and and that experience uh there yes um so tell me about you recently joined the c12 group and your director of operations uh natalie keen um who for many years was with New Life Solutions, and and you and Saul have been friends. Saul Pitchon, who's a great friend of this ministry, uh, here on the on the radio, and uh, a member of C12 as well. Um, what is it about the C12 experience that appeals to you, and this um, executive roundtable experience, having people? Um, as your advisory board, and what 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 appeals to you about that? And, and Natalie, because I know you've had great conversation about it. Yeah, that's a great question. So I've I've learned I've known of the C12 group for years. Um, Saul Pitchon obviously is one of them that one of my great friends that has shared uh, many times with me about C12. Richard Hayes, another from Digital Light Bridge, has shared it with me, and and many others across the bay have told me about C12, and yet. Uh, as interested as I was, I really never felt like it was the right moment to, to engage with the group until recently when I met you and kind of the planets aligned in many ways, so to speak. And uh, it, it felt right this time professionally for the organization, the right time to engage and, and for me personally where I'm at in my walk in order to, um, like you say, be surrounded in this roundtable of individuals. And so 
One of the reasons I think that's so critically important, I, I, can, I can talk about it in the context of the two ministries right now that my wife and I are involved in. Um, in both cases, the ministries are set upon the foundation of Christ, and then the, the next layer, so to speak, is a board of directors, and it's a board-driven ministry. And the board of directors being incredibly godly people, who get on their knees and pray. We know that they hear from God. We know that they get direction. They listen to that. They take it very seriously, and they give godly counsel. And so for us in the ministry, in in the ministries that we've been walking through in the last five years, that has been so critically important when it comes to the really hard decisions, whatever those may be, to know that you're in counsel, to know that you're not out there making a decision on your own, but you have people that are praying around you, helping you guide through that decision process, and then to make sure that you're in unity before you do, in fact, make the decision. That is so incredibly important, and there's so much peace that comes with that. The peace that surpasses all understanding from God comes with that kind of counsel around us. And so I liken that to C12, where as a business owner, you walk into an organization where you know, we're, we're in right now this nonprofit realm, and we have a Christian ministry, right? And so we are a Christian organization, so to speak. But to have to, to be an owner, which most C12 members are, an owner of a, not a secular company, but an owner of a for-profit company, trying to figure out how do we, how do we run this company based upon the principles of Christ, or how can I bring my, my faith more into the fray of who this organization is, etc., to be able to begin to sit around this table or that table of other members of C12 to know that you're surrounded with that godly counsel, surrounded by people who also get on their knees and pray, and they do get that direction from God. That's the kind of counsel that I think so many people right now need as they are walking through the decisions they're making in their business. And I think what's exciting is I, I just as you were describing what that round table, that advisory board, sitting around a table with 12 other men and women uh, from various businesses. It's amazing how lonely it is at the top and how everyone's working in the same direction to to really align with God. And, and what I like to say in C12 is we're, we're connecting that Sunday morning sermon with the Monday morning madness. You know, we feel good as we leave with our families and then uh, on on Sunday night, we're thinking, this is all going to start over again, and I've got the same problems. And in your case, um, it's the problem of how do we put an end to this crisis in America of the human trafficking? And so when we come back here, Jeff, I I, I want you to to share how you get to, to share about Jesus Christ through your, because it is a ministry, it, it, it's definitely a kingdom, not for profit, and uh, we want to get some insight as uh, when you open this home, what that's going to be like, because we've been told that these kids are, are living in such, really, a hell for them, yep. because of their, the situation, for whatever reason that they're in, uh, maybe of their own doing or, or circumstances, but you come alongside them and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm looking forward personally, because we've never had this conversation, how you get to just just mend their hearts, their broken hearts. 
How are you impacting the lives of those that you touch through not only the, the these victims that are involved in human trafficking, but maybe it's even the government workers and some of the others. So how are you sharing the good news? Yeah, I think it's a great question, and we can look at really the operational model of most successful Christian safe homes across the country. Um, through the film, we've been able to engage hundreds of organizations across the country and, and really to identify these best practices. And almost across the board, what we find are Christian organizations that are running safe homes have the same model. The model is, first of all, these kids, if we're talking about for, for young kids, the safe home, so these kids come into the safe home. They've been rescued or, or, or brought out of this environment, out of the life in some cases. And in almost every case, because of what they've lived through, because of what has been happening to them for this duration of time, they have, in almost all cases, no concept of believing in God anymore. How could there possibly be a loving God that is caring for them, watch, watching over them, etc., with these horrific things that are happening to them? on a day-by-day-by-day basis. And so across the board, these organizations say that there's no feasible way that when they come into this kind of environment, you can try to force feed them the gospel or force the gospel into their heads. But instead, it is really a model of showing them the love of God. Because you think about the environment these kids are coming from, and all of a sudden they're in this safe place, and there are people around them showing really the goal is unconditional love. That eventually, and and I've been told in most cases it happens almost 100% of the time, eventually that child is going to look up and say, what is different about you? There's something different. You're not like everyone else. Why are you doing this? Why are you treating me like this? And there it is. That's the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so really, that is the approach that we intend to take. It is not obligatory whatsoever. It is really, if I look at my own journey, it is God placing people in our lives and and putting in seeds and watering the seeds, etc. And so that's really the process that we intend to follow is to just really install those nuggets, right? To, to, to put that seed, plant the seed, and, and water it during the duration that they're with us. So in, in many ways, it's like the the relationship that you described to us early on about your only your your own personal uh, testimony and that was that your wife now the the woman that you were dating Carrie shared with you the message of the good news just by loving you and then you learned that you could trust her and you wanted something that she had so it really isn't that different with the safe home experience and then the others that you're you're working with. Yeah, I'd say the only difference is, uh, and those that know my wife would understand this, that she really, we were driving from West Palm over to Bradenton to meet her parents for the first time. And so for that three and a half hour trip, she had a captive audience and she shared (laughs) with me the gospel. She shared with me all the things of Christ. And I honestly thought she was kind of off her rocker for a little bit. And then uh, through a series of of understanding came into that truth. And you were you were on Alligator Alley, so she. <laughs> That's exactly okay, right. all right. So That's exactly all right. right. Hey, Jose, um, we're wrapping up <laughs> another another broadcast, and uh, we we learned another way that you can share the gospel on Alligator Alley. <laughs> hey, thanks for uh, taking that call from Kathy from Brandon. She uh, she is going to uh, have the uh, year 
through the Psalms, one year through the Psalms. She's a and, huge uh, fan. She was so thrilled. Well, it's a, and she will be thrilled when she reads it and will understand, perhaps, as I did for the first time, what David was going through and where that... Uh, and, and where that passion came from. And uh, and I hope that our listeners today have been able to stay with us uh, for the whole hour because, Jeff, they, they have captured your passion, and uh, it's contagious. I know it has been for me. Um, so as we come to the end of, of another I Work For Him show, I want you to, to I want to thank you for listening to the program today. I Work For Him, Jim and Martha share from their hearts. So when you get home today, please take the time to go to the website, iworkforhim.com. Please consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. And uh, as we come to the end of this broadcast, I trust that you've been challenged by Jeff Rogers' story today, and you too are going to integrate your faith into your specific role. However God has called you, we hope that as you're into that your scripture reading, that you will hear that small, still voice, as Jeff and Carrie did, that you're going to change your world for Christ. Our workplace is our mission field, and in the mission field, you may be the only Jesus that your co-workers ever see. You've been listening to the I Work For Him show with your guest host, Ross Harrop. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace is my mission field, and I work for him is your show. Let's connect next month, first Friday in March.